Axe Church Leander online. Yesterday, we had a cacophony of things go wrong with our live stream. We ended up needing to reboot the entire system to get rid of that echo, but I wanted to make sure that you guys had just a quality experience. So I'm going to ask, I should make sure that this is the right size. Acts Church Leander. It's good to be with you today. Let's start off with prayer before we dive into God's Word. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a Father who invites every generation into a relationship with you. As we continue to reflect on the wisdom and the words that are found in the first book to the church in Corinth, Lord, I pray that you speak. I hope, pray that you help us understand who you are and who you've called us to be better. We say it's all in your son's precious name. Amen. We are in our sermon series called Corinth, Texas. And for me, I thought it was just a cute name of like, oh, we'll act like Corinth is in Texas until someone told me, no, Josh, there is a legitimate Corinth, Texas. That's a put together an awesome graphic, and then she gave it to me, and I'm like, but that's not where Corinth is. That's not where Dallas is. And come to find out, no, yes, that is most definitely where Corinth, Texas is in North Texas. So I've got to do my geography a little bit better. But we've been looking at how the book of Corinthians speaks to so many of the same issues that we have today. And we're going to be hanging out in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6 today. As Paul writes to the church, that they are, in fact, God's temple. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says these words. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and together, he says, you are God's temple. Now, that you are God's temple is a Texas y'all. Y'all together, us together, are called to be the temple of God. But that begs the question, well, what is a temple? What is Paul getting at? Because we don't have temples in Christianity. We have church buildings, for sure, but we don't have temples. But they certainly did in ancient times. We still have temples today, actually, just not within the Christian church. There's a couple of them just a half a mile from Erica and Mai's house. And a temple is a place where we go to to meet with God, to seek and find God's protection, to worship a God, and to find guidance for how we are called to live our lives. And that's not just in Christianity, that's in any religion. If you go to a Hindu temple or if you go to a Buddhist temple or ancient temples of the Egyptians or the Greeks, that's why they would go to a temple. They believed it was a place where the heavens met earth and they could meet with their God. They could find a place with where they could meet and seek protection from the rain or, or from poverty or from an external enemy. Temples have been along and around for a very long time. 
And what we see in Scripture and in the Old Testament, the temple was central to how God would meet with his people. But if we're talking about a place where God would meet, where he would be, where they would know for a fact that God would be there, the temple actually starts in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, because God creates the world day after day after day, and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then God decides to spend his time in the temple, in this new world, to meet with us. This comes from Genesis chapter 3. Then the Son of Man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. God was walking on earth with us. We could meet with him anytime we wanted to. We could celebrate him. We could worship him. We could seek protection and guidance from him in the garden. The garden was a place where humanity and God met. And eventually that, that went south, but it starts off as this perfect temple where heavens and earth are completely overlined and overlapping and God is with us. And not only is God with us, but we as humans, we have a role. We have a part to play. We know what our job is. This comes from Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Scripture tells us that our God had a plan for us, that we had a purpose, that we had an identity to steward this good world that our Father would give us. We were called to work and to take care of this place that overlapped with God's presence. That's our role. But unfortunately, the Bible doesn't end in Genesis chapter 2 or Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Hey, no, we sin, we fall short. We say, hey, we got a better idea. What if we were God? What if we decided what was right and what was wrong? What if we don't need you so much? And there was a punishment. There was a payment. Sin came into the picture, and all of a sudden, mankind was banished from our relationship with God. So the Lord God banished him, being Adam, and his wife from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he came. We were removed from this place where we could meet with our God, where we could seek protection from our God, where we would have a relationship with our God. And if that was the end of the story, this would be now a sad story, but instead what we have in Scripture is a God who says, no, I am still for you. I still want to be with you. And so he seeks us out over and over again through the family of Abraham, where he says, I will again be with my people and you will be with me. And so he creates a new temple with them called the Tabernacle. This comes from the book of Exodus as he leads his people out of slavery. And he says, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell with them. Make this tabernacle and all the furnishings in the pattern that I give you. God says to his people, I want to be with you. And while we're no longer in the Garden of Eden, while heaven and hell, no, or heaven, sorry, and earth no longer perfectly overlap, he says, I'm going to create a space where you can know this tabernacle, this temple, that I will be there for you. And it, it kind of looked like this. It looked like a space where the entire tribes of Israel, all 12 tribes, thousands of people, 
they would set their camp up around this temple, around this tabernacle, around this tent. And the tent had an outer wall, and then it had this inner sanctuary space, and then inside the inner sanctuary space, there was a space called the Holy of Holies, and no one was allowed to go there because that's where God was, that's where His presence was. And so only one time a year would one priest be able to go into the Holy of Holies after doing a sacrifice for the people's sins. And there was a huge curtain, this massive thick curtain that this priest would have to crawl under to, to be with God, to be in this space where God was. And this was so severe, in fact, that if the priest wasn't worthy, they would tie a rope around him as he crawled under because if he wasn't worthy and God smited him, they could then pull the body back out. But at least the people knew this is where our God was. And what's interesting is not only does God create a tabernacle, but He gives them jobs. And He says that the priests are to perform duties for Him and the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to take care of the furnishings in the tent of meetings. Those are the exact same verbs that are in Genesis chapter 2, where mankind is called to work and take care of creation. We are called to work and take care of the temple because we are called to be priests of where God is. The Old Testament is all about the temple. And there's a timeline. First, there is the tabernacle, this tent that God remains in. Eventually, through the line of David, King Solomon will build a physical building a physical temple of brick and mortar and fine established structures. And God dwells in that temple for a season, but the people rebel. The people say, no, we're not interested in this. Again, God, how about we're God and you're not God, or we'll seek other gods, and there is a payment for that, there is a consequence to that. And so the temple is destroyed. Babylon comes in and takes over the country and takes all of those precious minerals and the brick and the gold away. And in the book of Nehemiah, the temple is rebuilt, the people return, but the presence of God does not return with them. You see, God had always dwelled in the physical temple, whether it was the tabernacle or the structure. But when they rebuild it, God's presence doesn't re-enter it. But the prophet Ezekiel had promised that God would return, that he would come back. And so in Ezekiel chapter 43, we have these words, this promise from God that he wasn't done with his people, that he was still going to be with them, that one day God's presence would return. And he says these words in Ezekiel chapter 43. He says, the vision I saw was like a vision that I had seen when the city was destroyed, verse 3. But now in verse 4, the glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing the east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And again, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me inside the tent. And he said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place for whose soles my, of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The prophet Ezekiel said God's presence would again return to his people, that we would have a temple that we could meet with him. 
And the people were excited, and they waited generations, hundreds of years, for God's temple to be fully restored. And they thought it was going to be this physical temple, this concrete temple that they had built. But then Jesus arrives, and we realize that God is doing something new. John says these words in 1 John. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling literally means to pitch a tent or to tabernacle among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father. John says, y'all, we were waiting for a physical space. And instead, God sent his physical son to be filled with his glory and his love. And what we see is as God sends Jesus, there is a garden of delight that comes with him. That's what Eden means, literally delight. Everywhere Jesus goes, that delight goes with him. The the hungry are fed. Those isolated are brought into community. The sick are healed. Jesus brings heaven back to earth, fully connected with God again. He lives for us, and then he dies for us. He sacrifices himself as a way to die for his people's sins. And when he does that, Matthew recounts what happens in the physical temple. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain that separated us from the holies of holies was no longer there because we could have a full relationship with God again. And when we could have a full relationship with God again, he would no longer dwell in physical temples of concrete and stone and brick, but instead, as Paul writes to the church again, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? And if any one of you destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, and you together, y'all, are God's temple. He writes to the church in Corinth and he says, y'all, because you are God's temple, because he now dwells in you, because you are now the place where God can meet with people through you, that matters. That has consequence. And then he writes chapters 4, 5, and 6, and in chapters 4, he says, y'all, since you are God's temple, live like it. Live holy. Live like Jesus. Don't live like the rest of the world as if what you do doesn't matter. He says, as I imitate Christ, imitate me. As I have passed on to you the faith, pass that on to the next generation. And that's how all of us get here. Someone passed the faith on to us. Someone told us about Jesus, whether it was a parent or a friend or a grandparent They poured Jesus into us because someone poured Jesus into them because someone poured Jesus into Paul because Jesus originally started it. And so Paul says in chapter 4, y'all, imitate me because that's how we live as the temple of God. And then we get to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, Paul is arguing, he is making the case that because we are the temple, there's certain things we shouldn't do. And it gets into this weird case of incest, where a son is sleeping with his stepmom. And Paul's like, y'all, this ain't of Jesus. Whatever weird stuff is going on here, that's not what the temple of God is about. 
And so he calls them out and he says, stop it. Remove that person from the yawl of your temple because we have a good God who is holy and who is pure and full of love and whatever this is, it's not that. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he talks about a God who is pure and a God who is cares what we do with our sexual bodies. And it gets into the temple stuff a little bit. It gets into what's going on in Corinth at the time because the god of Corinth, the big deity there, was a Greek god named Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the goddess of love. And so worship services reflected that. That was a big industry in Corinth, sexual love. And it was something that people would engage with as a way to worship Aphrodite. And Paul says, what? No, that is not of God. That is not what God is trying to do for us or through us because, and he ends with it here in chapter 6, the same stuff he was talking about in chapter 3. Verses 18 to 20, Paul says these words. He says, so flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a person commits, because of all other sins a person commits outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you and whom you receive from God? You're not your own anymore, he says. Instead, you are bought with a price. Therefore, he says, honor God with your bodies. He begins and ends this section of Scripture with the same concept that because we are called to be temples of God, it matters. And what we do and how we act with our bodies matters. Because we are now called to be stewards of this temple. We are called to build this temple up to reflect God, not just as individuals, but corporately. And so there's some good news that comes with this, that one, we no longer have to go to a physical space to meet with our God. Y'all don't have to come to Axe Church Leander 207 Sunny Drive to meet with God. He's not in a physical space. He's no longer restrained to a physical space. But instead, because we are his temples, we can go anywhere we want and he is there with us to meet with, to worship, to seek guidance and protection from we have a God who is ever-present, and I will be with you always, Jesus says, even until the end of the earth. It is good news that we are no longer limited to a physical space to meet with our God. But that also comes with some realities that if He's always with us, then we should always be reflecting Him. I love how First Peter puts it. 1 Peter chapter 2, he's writing to the church and he says these words. As you have come to him, in verse 4, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house or temple to be holy priests, offering spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. And then in verse 9, you are God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special position, uh, possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
He says, y'all are now called to be priests, not just as pastors of a church, but as sons and daughters of God to work and care for this world that he has given us, this body that he has given us, this heart that he has given us, this mind that he has given us, that we could be priests. And that because we are temples, it changes how we see our lives, it changes how we see our relationships, it changes how we see our identity. That, that ultimately, if we are his kids, the world can't take that away from us. And if we are his kids, we are called to reflect him and to love as he loves and to sacrifice as he sacrifices. And none of us do this perfect, and I am at the front of the line of that. We have a God who says, even though we are still struggling with this sinful nature, this broken nature, he invites us to come and to repent because the sacrifice has already been paid. Jesus has already died and raised back to life again, and so we are again forgiven. We are called to be the temple of our God together. And we see God in each other, and we work together to better reflect him. Let's pray. God, you're good. God, you have a plan. God, you are for us. Lord, I pray that as a church, we can take seriously your call for us to be your temple. Help us seek you. Help us live for you and better reflect and tell your story of who you are to our family, our friends, our neighbors, and beyond. In your name we pray. Amen. See you guys next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.